What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Travis Orban. Travis is a progressive metal-leaning drummer who's recorded and or performed with Of Legends, Sky Eats Airplane, Periphery, and many more heavy hitters. He's probably the most technically proficient drummer we've had on the show, but he's also up there as one of the most creative and prolific. He records videos for a lot of his recording sessions so you can see exactly what he's doing, and the way he sets up his kit is also very unique, often being described as a minimalist quasi-open stance kit. He's very well studied in his craft as both a drummer and composer, and so I hope you enjoy the five-ish records that helped shape Travis Orban into the musician he is today. Cheers. So, Travis, for this list, what was your criteria for an album to even be in the running and then ultimately make the top five? Well, it was uh, pretty difficult to wade through the sludge in my brain and uh, <laughs> yeah. chronologically illustrate everything that shaped me. Uh, some of these were obvious, kind of no-brainers, but uh, the difficulty was kind of exacerbated in the fact that I also... Uh, compose and release my own music and so it kind of became a challenge of like delineating is this a drumming influence or like a drumming and compositional influence uh so what i did was i picked four of the no-brainers as i said and then my fifth entry is it kind of doubles as a, a drumming and compositional influence i love it i guess i'll follow up on this what does it mean for a track to be orbinated which is what people have uh, coined your style of doing things. Well, that term comes from my days in periphery. Someone in that form of the band, that lineup, conjured up that term and it, it kind of stuck. And at the time it was, I would take the program parts from the demos in the band and then I would put my own idiosyncratic touch on it. And that term just kind of followed me around. Well, let's just let's just hop into your your five because I really want people to know where the hell all of your ideas come from, and 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 like you said, one of them is is kind of a little more all encompassing. So let's just go to the first one, and and I guess you did kind of mention it before. Is this in chronological order of how they were introduced to you? Precisely. Love yep. it. I love it. All right. So the album is "And Justice for All." The artist is Metallica. The release year is 1988, and the key tracks that you pointed out, because I forced you to pick some, were One and Frayed Ends of Sanity, and of course the drummer's Mr. Lars Ulrich. So take it away. Where were you? How old were you? What tickled your fancy about this record? And yeah, floor's yours. So I was in love with the Black album at this point. I was exposed to that through MTV, and also my dad had it, and he would blare it in his huge truck as we'd... <laughs> skedaddle around the neighborhood but it 
it wasn't the drumming that struck me or I felt like like was vying for my attention. It was the record as a whole, you know, the vibe or whatever. Maybe because it was like the heaviest music I had ever heard in my little eight-year-old mind. So I loved the Black Album and I saved up some money and just on a whim got the Injustice for All cassette and popped it in. This record was made well before they had like huge airplay and before they were uh, an international act or a household name. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was difficult to find any sort of information or like I had never seen a video or heard any of the songs. But like I said, on a whim, I just picked it up. It's just this is what I call the, the sine qua non. This is the bridge that helped me realize I wanted to become a drummer. Like I had never air drummed to anything in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had kind of beaten aimlessly on household objects and on desks in school and such. But this was like, I don't know, something uh, impelled me after listening to this record. And so would I have become a drummer without it? Uh, perhaps. But this was the this is the one that prompted that realization. Let's do the Freight and the Sanity. Okay. Have you ever seen Metallica in concert? I've seen them twice. Once was the first time was ninety six or seven. It was they were touring on Load, mm. and then the second time was in two thousand three. I, I think both times were great, but I, I really liked the first time because well, it's the first time, and and also uh, they had this this production this, that was very theatrical. I think it's documented on some video release, but. Uh, they had a tech like come out and pretend like he was on fire or something. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Like, and the whole like concert got shut down in like the middle of a song and they would come back out and they would lower like one light bulb at a time for each member and they would like click it on and it was just this whole, you know, theatrical histrionic uh production and I got to see it in person. So it was Hell yeah. Fun. <laughs> Um, all right, so number two, and this is going to be from a video series, and this is Serious Moves, the VHS. The artist is uh, Dennis Chambers, but in this one, it is a song that they play from a John Schofield record, Blue Matter, and uh, the release here is 92, and they're playing the song Trim. Yeah, when did you get this? All that jazz. So this was within my first year of drumming, and I had saved up some money. I went to a local mom-and-pop instrument store, and uh, I just wanted... 
a drum instructional video. I, well, first I, I was, you know, browsing the store and then I saw that there were drum instructional videos and I, I didn't know that such a thing existed. <laughs> and so then I began perusing the selection and I noticed for whatever reason, the serious moves VHS like jumped out at me. I was like, that's the one I want. So I plopped down my hard earned money and got it, went home. And uh, this song we're about to hear is the first song. It's the one that opens the video. The band that performs in this is the, I think it's the band that Schofield had for both Blue Matter and Loud Jazz and Pick Hits, which is a, a live record. Maybe the keyboardist is different, but uh, Dennis and I think his name is Gary Granger, the bassist, they were the rhythm section on all three of those. And uh, firstly, just the combination of those guys is dynamite. But with Dennis, it was just the playing was so over my head and so much was like, inscrutable to me but it still hooked me like i knew i was witnessing magic and he had such brio <laughs> i don't know what it was and, you know this was something totally sort of foreign to me like my parents didn't listen to jazz or jazz fusion it was just yeah it was like a, a language that I'd, I'd never heard before or something and uh that held a lot of allure and intrigue for me and so i was hooked and that vhs inhabited my vcr at least once a week i'd even make my friends come, uh, come over and sit through it <laughs> you're not and, paying uh, attention put your yeah i guess back then you didn't have a phone so put your walkman down i don't know <laughs> yeah it's mostly a performance video there, there's some instructional tips kind of scattered throughout but it's largely a performance and there's a, a companion vhs or dvd i think it's called funky pocket or, or something like that i don't know the name escapes me but it doesn't have the as outlandish playing as serious moves does um mm. so i'm glad i well i don't think they had it at the time but i'm glad i got serious moves <laughs> yeah all right well here is uh yeah here's trim Later on in that track, there's a, a drum solo or a vamp. I wish I could just go back in time and live in that moment the first time I saw that solo. It was, it's something else. Well, for everyone listening, I will. it is a nine-minute song, so I can't play the whole thing, but uh, I will link to it uh, in the show notes, and so people go check out that, that vamp solo that you were just referencing. But let's go to number yeah. three, and the album is Soul Vaccination by a Tower of Power Live is the full title. And the artist is, of course, Tower of Power, Release here's 1999. 
few key tracks, Soul Vaccination and So Very Hard to Go, and uh, Mr. David Garibaldi. So take it away. So Garibaldi was, I didn't realize it at the time, but he was kind of like a backwards bridge to uh, Chambers. There's a lot of Garibaldi influence in Chambers. Years later, I caught a video of him, uh, Chambers, substituting for Garibaldi and Tower of Power. And then it clicked for me. I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> of course he loves Tower of Power. Um, so Garibaldi for me was, he was more approachable than Dennis, you know? <laughs> um, he was He's kind of like a lesson in subtlety, whereas Lars in his own manner and Chambers in his own manner, they, they kind of like, bleed machismo they're just like you know they're in there mm-hmm. but garibaldi he sneaks in his licks <laughs> and so there's there's a lot of you know subtly complex 16th base patterns and layers happening but he plays them with such aplomb and and with that magic garibaldi touch that just makes it all groove along and uh, another big thing was studying his playing and transcribing it and playing along with it made me realize that like yeah i played ghost notes before but I was barely cognizant of it. It was just this thing that I just kind of peppered in. And he used them as like major components of a groove. Like you give this its proper subdivision because it's it's an inherent part of the groove. That was a big lesson for me. Uh, which, which song would you want to play? Uh, let's do Soul Vaccination. All right. This record was huge for me growing up too. I mean, even just the first track, Soul with the Capital S, is just so good. Oh yeah, man. I would play along to that. Ugh, so much fun. And that another thing that he did a lot was he would play off of the bow of the ride. Like he would traverse between the bow and the, and the bell of the ride. And like he would make up a lot of patterns like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, like the ghost notes are like compon- components of the actual groove. And that was another like thing that really impacted me back then it's a really small detail but it it's not <laughs> at the same sure. time sure and i still i mean future sounds is still a huge part of my practice routine hey y'all i wanted to <laughs> i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co 
It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with the drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right, so this next one was, and you kind of explained it, how this is two records, but kind of in one choice. But yeah, just maybe just talk about Virgil Donati as a whole, and then we'll talk about the specifics afterwards. So my first exposure to Virgil was the Modern Drummer 1997 Festival Highlights video. Every drummer would basically put on a clinic, mm-hmm. whether it was a performance with a band or just a, like a nerdy drum clinic. <laughs> on this particular festival, it was... There were a few different drummers, obviously, John Tempesta, Tony Royster Jr., Horacio Hernandez. In the highlights, they would be given, like, maybe two songs. Virgil is the, is the one that, like, I mean, talk about inscrutability. I mean, I think my mind, like, formulated a Rolodex at that time. I was like, file this under for later viewing because right now I don't understand what's going on, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and so a few years later, um, it was like, the height of file sharing and the details are a little hazy but what i would do is i would find some sort of obscure music and if i enjoyed it i would buy the cd mm-hmm. if you're buying obscure stuff like that like planet x on the verge screaming headless torsos uh you know <laughs> weird shit that isn't in your local fye then uh you got to go to some place online and in my uh case it was this place called audiophile imports i got a lot of cds from them and i can't remember if i downloaded on the verge or if i uh ordered the planet x cd because i was familiar with you know virgil as a drummer mm-hmm. uh, but i just remember consuming both of those albums around the same time and um and yeah uh I don't know. I've said a lot about Virgil over the years, and uh, he is what I've come to describe as uh, my gun to the head favorite drummer. Like you, you got a gun to your head, you got to pick a favorite guy. It would be him. He's just always evolving, always pushing himself. Uh, just a monkish dedication to his craft, 
it's been evident for a long time, but that your first exposure to that sort of intense ascetic lifestyle <laughs> that he's devoted himself to when you when you get that in your blood for the first time it's just like you're never the same so i consume both of those records are around the same time and and i've been kind of like a virgil fanboy ever since <laughs> all right so the album I'll, I'll i'll go for the for the first album the album serious young insects uh, and it's by on the verge verge spelled v-i-r-g and the release here's 99 and you chose native metal for that one so i will play native metal right now Is On the Verge versus Planet X is one of his more solo projects, the other one's more of a band environment, or what's the difference between On the Verge and Planet X? So, to my knowledge, On the Verge was just kind of like a side project that Virgil had in Australia. Mm. I believe all the members are natives of Oz. In fact, I just watched that video for the first time where he's in a Dream Theater cover band, and half the players are from this project. And so when he moved to, he relocated to uh, Los Angeles in like 99, maybe maybe it was sooner than that, around then. And um, Derek Sherinian, uh, the former keyboardist of Dream Theater, he, he got him to play on, I can't remember if it was the whole record or a couple tracks, but he had a solo record called Planet X. 
and that was his first uh collaboration with virgil okay and he's like let's just let's just make this into a a, a full full thing full-fledged thing and so he got uh tony mcalpine on guitar mm. who was insane yeah. absurd and then it was kind of a revolving door of bassists, but it was Tom Kennedy, surprisingly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's played with like Dave Weckl and tons of other people. In my, I, I don't like making declarative statements, right? I try to avoid making them, but I think he is the last guy that, to come along and like completely, wholly elevate our craft. I need to get into more Virgil. I appreciate your affirmation there. So uh, number five, the or number six, whatever, the album is Joe's Garage. The artist is Mr. Frank Zappa, who you somewhat mentioned earlier. The release here is 1979. The key track, Catholic Girls. And Vinnie Kaljuda. And then, yeah, go ahead. We'll listen to it after you take it away. So, yeah, I did mention that my dad was not an avid Zappa fan, but uh, he had a few records. And I vaguely remember, I think, listening to Apostrophe. I just thought it it was funny. You know, the lyrics were funny. That was like the, the lasting impression that I had. But I was a kid. And so <clears throat> when I was like in my early late teens, early 20s, then I started really delving into Zappa and to my knowledge, this was Caliuta's first recording, or at least his first, like, his national debut, so to speak. I think he, he went to Berkeley for a bit and then auditioned for Zappa, and uh, and he got the gig because he Vinny Caliuta. This is, again, like a, a gun-to-the-head kind of decision, like, pick a favorite Zappa record, this would be it. It just, it has everything. It has the, uh, the off-kilter experimental stuff, the wild outlandish time signatures the wild outlandish playing from everyone but it also has great lyrics uh great melodies it's the whole package i love caliuta's drum sound in this it's it's not typical caliuta i'm guessing either he hadn't figured out his drum sound or maybe this was uh zappa's doing like how he wanted the record to sound but uh they sound very rich and the whole record does i mean the record is phenomenally mixed and uh recorded yeah this is the thing that i mentioned earlier this doubles as like a drum and compositional influence because 
when I was talking about being exposed to uh, Virgil and his undying work ethic, once you get exposed to the industrial Frank Zappa, as he likes to describe himself, <laughs> industrial <laughs> strength, you're, you're changed forever. And the main thing he taught me, I'd say, to be is just to be fearless. Just, you know, compose with, with all your might, with every intention to not give a fuck <laughs> and just yeah. do what makes you happy. And Caliuda was right along in tow to help support that. Yeah, I wish we had Frank here with everything that's going on in the music industry and and uh, all the music getting taken advantage of. And, and I, I think he'd have a lot to say. Um, and I wish he was here to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, he's someone that I sometimes find myself missing as if he were a, a family member of some kind, <laughs> mm-hmm. a relative. But yeah, he would undoubtedly have uh, a lot to say about the state of matters. <laughs> Yes, for sure. All right, well, here's here's Catholic Girls. <laughs> yeah, he's just having fun. And none of them mamas ever seem to know. Hip, hip, hooray. For all the class they show. There's nothing like a gambling girl at the CYO when they learn to blow. They're learning to blow all the Catholic balls. Oh, nice. Gets a shout out. Oh, there it is. I was going to say the rhythmically was pretty tame till now. And I did want to mention or bring up one of your honorable mentions. Uh, Mr. Bungle's California record came out in 1999. So talk a little bit about that. We'll play some Mr. California or Mr. Bungle, and then I'll let you get back to I'm assuming you're a busy day. You're always <laughs> recording and filming. So go ahead. Oh, OK. So Mr. Bungle, I I was a massive Faith No More fan and kind of a de facto, you know, Patton fanboy as a result of that <laughs> and um is so, that the lead singer yeah or the, okay okay so i uh i started consuming some because he's had he has a myriad of side projects so i started checking some of those out and one of those was mr bungle which is actually his first band he was in bungle and then joined faith no more and so i got at the time all three of their records 
The first two are, it's hard to even put it into words. <laughs> the first one's like jazz meets calliope music meets experimentalism meets art rock avant-garde it's just all over the place there's multiple genres in uh every song and john zorn produced it and it's just a mind fuck <laughs> and the second one is that on testosterone and uh steroids and uh you know <laughs> all those performance enhancing drugs it's just fucking out there to the point to where it's largely unlistenable i think to many people like it it sounds like they set out to terrorize uh, the listener. And you can start to hear some other influences sort of creep in, like a lot of uh, film score composition. But the third one, I think, is their uh, it's their creative zenith for me. It's like they took the best elements of both of those records and streamlined each song into something that doesn't terrorize the, the listener. And it, I don't know, I, I got those three records in... I think it was the late aughts maybe early 2010s and california just it, it took a few listens maybe i was scarred from the first two <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy those now but california is just it became one of my like all-time favorite records like probably within top five like uh, it's dear to me which which song would you want to play well I, it's coincidentally enough i i just covered one it's called i think ours Moriendi. But um, we can play, let's get into some weird Motown. Uh, do Vanity Fair. God, I should know this. Yeah, Vanity Fair is the second to last song. Yeah, that's the one. Let's do that. All right, here we go. Some uh, strangeness coming up. The snaps. Oh, there it is. <laughs> That's your top six. And uh, if people do want to reach out to you and they want to get to know you a little more how can people find you where can they see you maybe talk a little bit about yeah the future of travis a little bit well if you want to see me in person i'm going on tour in a couple of weeks actually i'll be on tour with my band darkest hour direct support for exodus and fit for an auto autopsy uh it's a u.s tour i think there's maybe one date in canada so that's you can see me on the road if you'd like, or uh, just go to travisorban.com. That is the hub, and I'll take you to my website, obviously, which is like a kind of like an archive, and uh, it'll lead you to all of my social media outlets. 
All right, man. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, this was this was so fun, dude. Um, you are an incredible drummer. Like I was watching you the last few nights, so intimidated. <laughs> You're amazing, man. So I'm really excited to see. I mean, you obviously have a blooming career, but where you go and yeah, man, it's an honor for sure. Well, thank you kindly. That's that's very kind and gracious of you. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon, dude. Thanks again for having me. No problem, man. Peace. Bye. All right, this week's big fat favorite is from Petar Janic, and his choice was the album Love Symbol. Release year is 1992. The artist is Prince. Song choice is Sexy MF, and the drummer is Michael Bland. So here's what Petar had to say. This is another example of funk at its finest. Michael Bland is such a machine and musical drummer. Every single hit, crash, and fill serves the song. Not to mention Sexy MF was recorded without a click. These cats are locked, the time is not moving, and Michael is driving the bus. From the first hit into the verse to the sax solo outro where he switches to the ride bell, this groove is driving and not slowing down. It's so funky. All right, here's Sexy MF. the show if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews do that it helps more people find the show so it'll get bigger and better and hopefully i'll have a chance to sell out one day but you'll be an og listener that can brag to all your friends anyways why don't you go and check us out at bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on all the socials just search for big fat snare drum and you will find us the show is edited in part using isotope rx audio editor it's amazing so go check that out at isotope.com and thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.